Welcome to the WP Tonic Podcast, where each week Jonathan and his co-host interview the leading experts in WordPress, e-learning, and online marketing. Jonathan, take it away. Welcome back, folks, to the WP Tonic Show. It's episode 589. I've got my great co-host, Stephen Saunders, with me. Um, from Zipfish. Uh, um, we haven't got a guest this week. Unfortunately, our planned guest had to drop out because of personal circumstances, understandable ones as well. Um, Stephen and myself, uh, I think we've found a really interesting subject. I'm going to let Stephen introduce himself first. Stephen, would you like to introduce yourself to the new listeners and viewers? Yeah, just like you said, my name is Steven Souter. I'm from zipfish.io, where we make WordPress fast by optimizing both the WordPress code and the code that runs the server. Right. And our subject um, today is going to be um, hiring staff, hiring staff freelancers, hiring full-time people, hiring subcontractors, the whole field of hiring, which, in truth, can normally be a bit of a nightmare. So me and Stephen are going to give us our perspectives, maybe some words of wisdom. Well, you get that from Stephen. I'm not sure how much wisdom you're going to get from me. Um, But um, we're going to share our general experiences. And if you don't agree with us or you want to pass a comment, please leave us um, some notes on Facebook on our, or on the WP YouTube channel. Um, I, I will answer all your questions or comments. So, Stephen, you've been trying to hire some people lately. Um, what has the recent experience? Are there any insights that it's taught you so far, Stephen? Yeah, I think right now that um, hiring uh, market is really interesting because it feels extremely hot, much like the housing market. Uh, There's a lot of people um, that are looking for jobs, but it seems like the top tier talent has places and has a lot of people looking for them um, and out there trying to find them. So if you're, you know, uh, we'll just arbitrarily say if you're above the 50% mark, um, it seems like in whatever industry you're in, um, but specifically I'm talking about um, development, um, like coding and that kind of stuff. Um, it feels like it's hard to find good people. It's it, I've interviewed a ton of people and I feel like I've had to interview more people today to find a good person than I you know had to maybe five years ago, um, which is interesting. I, I don't know if it goes hand in hand with like when the economy grows that um, it's harder to find people. I assume that would make sense because there's more people, more work. So more people are looking for jobs um, or there's, there's people looking for jobs, but like there's a lot of work out there. So employers are looking to hire people is what I'm trying to say. I said that wrong. Um, so it's it really hard finding a good person. And I feel like whenever you're hiring somebody, there's always like that tension between um, I have work that needs to get done and it needs to get done now. And I don't have somebody to do that. So I need to find somebody to do that. Um, and if you choose to go down the route of hiring a full-time person, um, there's this pain of like, it takes time to find that right person. And how long do you let the current team, you know, burn the candle at both ends to try to get the work done versus just hiring the first person you find and not, you know, waiting to find that 
the exact person that fits all of your needs, your criteria, and the company culture. Um, there's just so many things that go into finding the right person. It's not just like, hey, can you do X, Y, or Z? Um, there's a lot more around hiring an individual than that, um, which is why sometimes I think it's better to just, you know, find a contractor to get work done. But when you have, you know, a certain level of steady threshold of work, it's probably, at least in my experience, better to find a full-time um, person to come work for you and your team. There's just a little bit more buy-in and a little bit more, um, I think, strategic thinking that goes around um, when an employee is part of a team and plans to be there for a long time versus a contractor who's just, you know, project-based. Um, but that's my own personal experience. I know some people that have like done some great things that with complete contractor teams. Um, and I would, I would honestly love to know um, how, how people find really good contractors to work with. I feel like that's something that I've always struggled with, um, whether it's, you know, going on online marketplaces like Upwork, or um, I don't know, like the thousand other different places. Um, finding good people is is hard, well, whether you're hiring full time or not. Well, there isn't really a thousand places, really, Stephen. But I, I think um, I think hiring people is a bit like dating. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, and you know, if you want if you want to attract really good. Um, subcontractors, you really got to put yourself in their mindset as well. You know, what they're looking for is, a, you know, which which is difficult to supply is a consistent um, stream of work that you pay, that you're paid um, reasonably um, I'll say often, but that just goes with the territory. But you're promptly paid, to put it that way. Uh, um, that there's a consistent level of work, and the person you're working for as a subcontractor has some idea what they're doing. <laughs> um, um, because, yeah, that's a that, that's yeah, a really no, that's a really good point. Like. I think that like the problems that I've ran into with contracting work out has always been that there isn't necessarily a steady enough stream of work, right? So we're, you know, maybe giving them 10, 20 hours a week, um, sometimes less, sometimes nothing. Um, and then, so they're always filling their books with other people's projects. And then there's these moments where you're like, oh, I need something ASAP, but they're working on other uh, people's stuff and you can't, you know, they're dictating their own time um, and they're going to, you know, g gravitate towards uh, people that give them steady work. That's work that they enjoy and good work. Um, and maybe that's like where I've always ran into the problem is that generally whenever I've looked for contractors, it's been, you know, 10 hours a week or something, uh, you know, around that. And so it's always hard to be taken as a priority. I think when you are giving somebody less hours than when you have, you know, something that you can give somebody full time, right? Even if they're a contractor, they're essentially a full time employee. You're just paying them differently. Um, well, watch out if you're in the state of California, though. Yeah, um, <laughs> I would not suggest actually, and not only in California, but in um, the Internal Revenue Service, you can actually get into some hot water there. Um, I, I don't hire anybody on that would get close to that threshold of being could be seen as they are actually really being employed by me. Um, I, I don't even get to that threshold with my offshore employees. Um, um, 
I think the the thing is that there is no golden answer to this, but I think to some level, re-putting your best um, subcontractors on a retainer basis is also a really good idea compared to the cost of a full-time employee, especially if you're talking about offshore um, subcontractors, the cost savings are still going to be considerable. Um, you know, probably at a third of the cost of hiring somebody that um, could be of the quality that you're looking for domestically. Um, so, um, this talk about your hiring process, you know, um, has that changed? Has that changed your interview and have you got a morphology that you stick to when you're, or does it really just, um, do, does it really just go with your gut feeling and the way you interact, re, interact with the individual? Yeah, I, I, would, I would love to say that, I, you know, we have like some really intricate hiring process where, you know, we have all of these like, I don't know, hoops or tests or, check boxes that somebody has to fill. But in reality, like, like we're, we're evaluating people on two things. Uh, one, do they have the skills to do the job? And really the only way that we determine that we don't do like any sort of like coding tests or here's a test project. Um, I personally I, think, I personally think they're useless anyway, myself. Yeah. Yeah. I, I've never had good luck with them. I've never, like, I feel like there's been a couple of times uh, where I've worked with companies that have, tried, that have used, like, test things. And honestly, I don't think they pinpointed good employees or bad employees very easily. Um, so, really, it's what past projects have they done and can they intelligently talk about them? And if they can do – if they have good past projects that are applicable to what we're doing and they can intelligently uh, discuss what they did on them, what the project was like, things that they would do different, things that they liked about it um, – you know, the tools and the libraries that they used. And if they're talking about it in a very um, strategical and logical sort of way, it's pretty easy to ascertain if they really understood that project or if they were just like some ancillary person that barely knew anything about the project as a whole. Like once you start digging down into like talking about how they constructed their API endpoints or why they chose to use the database that they used or why they're using whatever server environment that they chose to use. Uh, and they can speak about those things in meaningful ways. Like to me, that's enough to know that they have enough knowledge and um, enough expertise on the material to go out and problem solve, you know, problems that we I'm have. Not actively, we have. I'm not actively in development now, but I used to be. And also I keep myself um in the loop because um, basically I do that so I can keep myself I can tell reasonably well now what level a person's at you get a feeling for it and you, the way they talk like what you've just outlined but um the other factor is that's not taken into account is that I've had a couple um, people that were subcontractors who, when it came to the code, were brilliant. When it came to their communication and uh, ability to work with other members of my team, they've been useless. 
And I've had to let them go quite rapidly because they've been an extremely disruptive um, factor that's actually... Um, so would you yeah, agree that, with that? Yeah, that brings me to, like, my second, my second, like, kind of qualification that I try to evaluate people on is just this idea of, like, would I hang with... Would I hang out with them outside of work? Like, would I be friends with them? Do, are they interesting people? Do they have... I mean, this is, like kind of a weird word to use maybe, but like the right vibe about them. Um, but just like, just, I'm just using the word vibe. as like this idea of like everything that makes up who they are as a person. Like, do they seem nice? Do they seem genuine, honest, truthful, um, fun, positive? Like all of these things, like it, what, what I enjoy grabbing a beer with them or what I enjoy talking to them or having them over to my house for a game night or something. Now, would I do those things? Like, I don't know. Like some, some people we hang out with at work, some people we don't hang on as much. But um, th- just that idea that like, this is a person that I would hang out with, I think satisfies a lot of this other, like, who are they as a person? Like, are they going to be good at communicating? Are they not going to be good at communicating? Are they going to be lazy? Are they going to be fast? Are they to the point? Are they, you know, an A-type personality? Like all those things, like make up a person and who they are and make it, they fit who you are as a company culture. Um, And there's just so many intangible things. People, there's a lot of people that do like personality tests and stuff. Um, I've always felt like one's gut is better than a personality test, but um, that's a controversial opinion. I know some people that swear by personality tests. And I think they oh, work for some people. I don't. I, I think I, I also think they are grossly um, misused. And um, actually, the science behind that. I'm not. I don't want to go on a on one of my side subjects, but it's one it's something that pleases me slightly because I actually looked into the history of personality tests, and fundamentally, it's a pseudoscience at best. Um, actually came from a psychologist and philosopher, Cole Young, actually originated some of the ideas that are still used quite extensively. I actually have time for Cole Young as a philosopher. Um, Had some parts that were a little bit dicey, but don't we all? Uh, um, But um, at best, it's a pseudoscience. So um, I've always I've always been bothered about how like personality tests and assessments, like whether like whether it's like strike finders type stuff or um, there's a really big one now that I can't think the name of. Um, I can't think the name of it. Uh, I'll I'll come to me. But um, the borderlines like. Almost like eugenics kind of philosophy. Yeah, it has that taste to it. You're absolutely spot. I feel you're absolutely spot on there. And it's most strange that you actually brought that up because um, I've always been fascinated in the history of eugenics because, you know, fundamentally it was the philosophy that led to the Second World War and some of the worst atrocities that was linked to that conflict, the philosophy of, um, unfortunately, poor old Nietzsche got, got blamed for some of it, which mostly his, um, his um, sister. Um, but a lot of it came from eugenics, which actually came from Britain and also from America. So um, that it actually filtered back into the intellectual loop of Germany. But it's so interesting that you bring that up because it has got that taste to it of a 
of a, what I call a pseudoscience. Yeah. Um, There's something strange when you boil down human and humanness into numbers on a spreadsheet and you make, and you use those numbers to make determinations about people and what you are going to do with people. And whenever you get to horrible, It's something untasteful about it, isn't it? And I feel like there's a line that gets crossed from when you are talking about like marketing and selling. Like that's very different because you're not actually impacting those people's lives as far as hiring, firing, salaries, promotions, all of that stuff. Like if you're just talking about marketing, right? You're just like, how do I sell this? How do I find the right person that wants this product? When you're talking about um, things more internal to the organization and start assigning numbers to employees and start over using using metrics too often to have to evaluate people, you lose this human element to it all. And I think like that's where like giving coding tests and um, uh, personality tests and all these like. I don't know, hoops that people have to jump through to get a job with you. Some of that's good, but you have to be careful that you don't cross that line too far because then you start seeing people as the accumulation of numbers and not who they are as a person. Yeah, I want to wrap it up before we go for our break. Um, I I think the tried and tested mythologies um, are good ideas, references, being explained about, you know, what you did in your previous employment, what you didn't like about it. How how long that, um, have people got a very, you know, this has changed. Um, nobody now works 30 years for one company now. Uh, um, and especially in tech, people tend to move around a lot more um, than even some other different industry sectors but if if somebody's moving around after a few months then a few months it doesn't look that great um so just basic um into a structured interview process references past clients actually checking those references having get off your backside and actually discuss um, some of the work with uh, with the subcontractors, prior clients. Um, it does pay dividends. The other factor before we do go for a break is do be aware that if you're hiring because you've got a high workload, you're deluding yourself because actually hiring people, unless they're top-tier subcontractors that have already worked with you and know your systems, Actually, hiring people because you're overwhelmed will actually make the situation worse, Stephen. Um, because no matter how good they are, it's actually going to reduce the organization's effectiveness even more. It's actually going to increase the work burden, not only on yourself and others, because it's going to take at least a couple of months, maybe three to six months, depending for that person that you hired to fully bed in. So actually, it will actually make the situation worse. That's one of the nice things about subcontractors when you got them on retainers, is that they should have they should know your processes, um, the internal um, um, ticketing system you use, the turnaround, um, what certain clients like, what other clients don't like. Um, basically. 
when you're hiring new people, Stephen, it tends to make the situation worse, not better. I, I think, oh, let's go to break and then, I will, then I'll tell you. You can you respond to that, that can't you? <laughs> uh, I thought you would like that. Uh, we're going to go for our break. We'll be back in a few moments, folks. LaunchFlows turns your WooCommerce website into a selling machine. We make it easy to create gorgeous sales funnels, no friction checkouts, order bumps, upsells, downsells, and much more. Gain full control over your buyer's journey from the top of your WooCommerce sales funnel all the way to the bottom. Best of all, you can use your favorite page builder, such as Elementor, Divi, Beaver Builder, Gutenberg, or one of the high converting templates we've included inside. Get rid of the clunky WooCommerce shop pages and checkout process in favor of an optimized buyer flow that instantly increases conversions and makes you more money. LaunchFlows provides one-click order bumps that increase the total value of every sale with a 10 to 30% conversion rate. This is perfect for anyone offering complimentary products, training, or extended warranties. With unlimited upsells and downsells, your buyer's journey doesn't need to end at the checkout. Instead, we make it easy to display a series of additional offers as part of the original transaction. This is perfect for one-time offers, related products, mastermind class offers, high-ticket software sales, or subscription supplements. Not an expert? Don't worry. We've got the training and the consultation you need. WP Launchify will teach you how to get the most out of launch flows with personal consultation on WordPress, WooCommerce, marketing automation, and much more. If you want to earn more money with your WooCommerce online business, you owe it to yourself to try launch flows today. We're coming back. Before we go into the second part of our conversation about hiring people, freelancers, subcontractors, full-time employees, it's all lovely stuff, isn't it, listeners and viewers? Before we go there, I just want to mention about a free webinar. Me and Spencer Forum, a member of my um, roundtable panel, are doing on in May. I'm looking for the Pacific date. It's going to be the second um, Friday of May. It's going to be the 14th of May at 10.30 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. We're going to be going in to the nitty-gritty of um, new ways of setting up membership websites using marketing automation as well. Um, there's new ways of using tagging. You don't have to use a membership plugin that which you can link into marketing automation and produce a system using WordPress that's better than click funnels or active campaign. It's an exciting field. Um, there's a lot of misinformation. Why don't you join us for this free webinar on the 14th, Friday the 14th, and learn more about a more modern way to set up these sites, not only for yourself, but for your clients. How do you join? It's really simple. You go to the WP Tonic website, right up in the top top navigation is a button that says webinar. You click it, you just ask for your name and email, and we'll keep you informed when we're going to be doing it, and you're given a link, and you can just join us. It's a great, should be a great resource. So back to our discussion, Stephen, about the lovely, beloved process of hiring people, whatever, 
Formula going to. So I made a bit of a bold statement before the break. I think you wanted to reply to that. Yeah, um, you were saying that when you hire somebody, that it can inherently like slow down your organization or increase the inefficiencies of the organization, which is true. The more people you have, the more inefficient you get until you hit this point where the person that you're hiring is an expert in an area that you need help in. And if that person's knowledge that you're hiring in surpasses the knowledge of everybody else in the organization. So this really only applies if you're a young organization, right? Let's say like, I'm not, I know a little bit of React. I'm not a great React programmer. I know way more PHP than React. I mean, I, I can do some things, but you know, it takes me a little while. If I would go out and hi, and we had like a bunch of React work and I'd go out and hire a React developer that was an expert at React, has been doing React for 10 years, has a lot of opinions on the best way to do things. But I hiring somebody like that, then all of a sudden, I no longer have to make these decisions on how to build an application that I'm not necessarily qualified for. And so it's going to take me a long time to do the research and to figure out the right way to structure things. But by hiring somebody with a lot more years of experience, they can come into the situation and they can say, actually, here is how you should do it. These are the problems that we're going to face if we do it you know, A or B or C, and this is how we're going to address those things. Um, you will get those same things with hiring a very experienced contractor as well. Um, but I think if you hire somebody in at the same base knowledge as everybody in your group, or maybe a little bit lower base knowledge of everybody in your group, then you're right. You would definitely have more inefficiency and it takes a lot longer to get that person, you know, ramped up and up to speed. Yeah, I was trying not to be too... Don't get me wrong, but I think you just got to be aware. But I think what you've just said about the specialist is also totally true. And that um, if it's a specific skill and you're bringing them in because it's a skill that you lack or it's going to take you time to really get yourself up to speed and there, there's time pressure, yep, totally agree with you. Shall we go on to um, hiring freelancers yeah. on on um, digital platforms? Yeah, I would um, love to know your experience with that because my experience, I've always had problems with it, but I probably am just doing it wrong. <laughs> so first of all, I'm intrigued to hear what have some of those previous problems been then? Uh, like subpar work or work not done in the right way. And like, it just doesn't fit the way that like our architecture or the way that we had things structured. Or I felt like I was super clear on how to do something. And then I get something back that's not done um, the way that I wanted to. I think um, like probably where I've ran into the most problems is when there isn't a very clear cut uh, like route from here's where we are now, like let's say a design, here's where we are now, and I want it to look like this, get all the assets and make them exportable. But almost all of my work, let's say just for designs and kind of keeping in that same idea, like is I have something, I want it to be designed and I want it to look like something like these other five sites. And I'm not sure exactly what it's supposed to be, but do something that's awesome and amazing. And then that has always been a super painful process compared to um, like using our own internal people. Yes, um, I think what you're describing is nothing unusual, actually. Um, it's definitely um, those, um, especially clientele, 
um, that have gone direct to um, Upwork or Fiverr. And there's about, there's a handful, um, there's about half a dozen of these platforms that I would consider, but, and um, there's a couple up, but the, it's mostly Upwork and Fiverr that I'm going to um, aim most of my comments on. Um, basically, it's a skill, it's a skill in itself when hiring people on these platforms um you're gonna you, the the more the less the multi-tier the project the better it's gonna go the more one-dimensional yeah the project one, that's a good word one-dimensional one do yeah I, was, uh, uh, I think i'm doing reasoning well actually in this episode um what I mean is I have a tendency to ask multi-section questions on this interview show, listeners and viewers, shock horror. You know, Stephen tends to ask more singular questions. I think I'm getting a bit better, but I have been multiple levels of a project and then putting it upwards and expecting an upwork subcontractor to work it out for you. Uh, probably ain't going to work out. Um, it definitely ain't going to work out on Fiverr. Um, um, they, the other thing is um, a lot of people tend to go, um, especially clientele, um, when they go on to Fiverr, they tend to hire the cheapest person they can find. Um, that is definitely something you do not want to do. Um on the other hand, some some of the people on Upworks, they their rates can rapidly climb to the level where you could employ somebody domestically to do the work, um, especially if there's a shortage in a particular skill, they like a highly um, experienced React developer, you know, attempt to get one of those on Upwork with good reasonable English skills, with reasonable experience, you probably will end up paying almost a similar rate than you would domestically, Stephen. Um, so you do have to watch the rates. That's on the other side of the cheap. So you're looking for the medium, the, the medium area where you're getting good value for money compared to uh, a domestic hire, um, but um, but you are going to have to explain, supervise the work to a much higher level than than I would expect that you would have to do with a domestic um, subcontractor or employee. I've not found anybody um, apart from a couple of people, but they, like I say, I've actually ended up having to pay them a similar rate to a domestic employee. And then it's a similar situation, but the only thing is, depending where they're working, um, you've got the time difference, which can be beneficial or not, depending on the kind of work you're giving them. Uh, um if you're looking yes. for a time difference that's beneficial, which direction do you think is more beneficial than the other, if, like, the time offset? 
Well, you, you know, the in general, you, what it, this changes. Um, I think the Far East can be beneficial. There's a if you're going up on Upworks at the present moment, and it, this really depends. Um, obviously, when it comes to actual um, virtual assistant kind of work, the Philippines still dominate that because of their English being the main language of the Philippines. Um, if on the more technical side, it is still um, the dominance is India, Bangladesh, Pakistan. In Europe, um, it's the Ukraine. Um, um, so it really just depends, really, where your customer, especially if it's US based. Now, um, having people in the Far East, that will mean the work's been done overnight. Well, that's great because it's literally you're getting work done and the next morning stuff's done. It's lovely. But on the other hand, that's probably not going to work with clients that expect you to be the developers just to be there when they need it, when they put a ticket in they expect something to happen if it's an emergency, depending, you, depending on your support plan. I suppose I'm I'm talking more about my business rather than your type of business there, and I? Have you ever used um, onlinejobs.ph? It's like, it's like Philippines. It. No, but I have Yeah, been. I have, have too. I've heard about it in like four different conversations in the last month, and I've never used that platform, but it seems like people are loving it, and... Uh, so I don't know. Just uh, just was wondering. No, um, but I also um, I think have you not found that when you've tried to hire people that, that you have to provide a lot more guidance and you do have to tend tend to check over the work much more extensively. Uh, yeah, it depends. It depends again. It depends like what what you're paying them. Like if they're lower, I have. Like probably like the worst people that I've hired are like on the lower end stuff. And the best people that I've hired um, are people that are on the higher end stuff, like where I could probably hire somebody in the United States to do the project. I just don't know anybody. So I'll yeah. post it online and then find somebody that can do it. But, you know, I'm paying a hundred, 150 bucks an hour uh, for the guy to do something or girl like it. To like to get that quality level of work, it just feels like you have to pay whatever top tier price because there's other companies looking for those people too, right? Like, I don't know how many countries you know Facebook or Amazon or any of these large companies have employees in, but there's a lot. And if you're really good, like you're able to get jobs at multitude of different places, um, and so their you know their rates are are up there. Um, but I'm sure there's other people that just have like more knowledge because I always hear of people like, I don't know, hacking the system or whatever to get like work done and good work done. But I've never experienced it. So I think they're, I don't know. Yeah, I've heard all, talk, these, talking stories. A big I've game. Heard all these stories as well. You know, clients saying, oh, yeah, we got this guy from India and, it, you know, he could do, he did everything and he did it. He did it in half the time we fought, and he did it for ten dollars an hour. You know, uh, um, but then they're coming to us to sort out a site that doesn't work. Yeah, and then they you get what you why. pay they for. Wonder, they wonder what. Well, 
Sometimes you do, sometimes you don't. Um, in general, I would agree, still agree with that statement. But you've got to be a bit cautious because... Um, but I think when it comes to Upwork, I'm looking for the middle ground. I'm looking for value for money. Mm. I think if you're looking for value money rather than cheapness, that's a better mindset. I think if you're just looking for cheapness, you're going to get in into a lot of problems. I also think you want to spend a lot more time looking at their reviews um, actually having a Zoom with them, I actually will pay more it, um, pay more money for some level of English fluency. Um, I think it's worth paying that bit more. Um, uh, the, a lot of them resent that because they say, well, it's a technical subject. We don't need to be fluent. Um, I think... Um, obviously, putting so much in email works, but there's ne- there comes to a point where you can save an enormous amount of time by just having a five minute chat, which which would take about two pages of notes to get over what you want, and it's normally at a crucial moment when a client is 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 shouting at you, and you just need something to be done. So paying that little bit of extra to have somebody that's got reasonable English fluency, it, it to me is a good idea. But other people would disagree. I think we'd better wrap wrap up. The half hour's gone quite substantially. Um, so, Stephen, how can people find out more about you and what you're up to? Head over to zipfish.io, run a speed test, see how much faster we can make your website. And I've done something very naughty, listeners and viewers. I forgot to mention my major sponsor, <laughs> Wrigley Nader. Uh, that's Costas. And uh, what are they? They're a web-based um, hosting for podcasting. You need to host your audio files and you need a rock-solid RSS feed to push those audio recordings to iTunes, to Spotify, to Google Play, all the places that you need your podcast to be available. And I was using another service, folks, and... They were great, um, bit old-fashioned interface, and it was a little bit expensive. Um, I was put on to Costas by um, Matt Medeus, who's now their marketing director. I paid for it out of my own pocket, started talking to them and the founder, and uh, really fantastic interface and great support at half the price that I was paying the other provider. And I started chatting with them, and uh, I said I was looking for a major sponsor. Uh, Kinster had deserted me. Um, no, I'm only kidding. Kinster um, were great supporters of the show. And they said they wanted to come on board. So I'm delighted because I think it's a fan. Um, I, I've moved all my shows to them. They helped me out with that. They went ab- above the call of duty to help me out. And I can't recommend them more. So go over there if you're interested in podcasting for yourself or for your clients. I can't sing their praises higher. So go over there. So it's time to wrap up the show. We'll be back next week with another great guest, or if it needs to be a discussion between me and my great co-host, Stephen, 
We'll see you soon, folks. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to the WP Tonic Podcast, the podcast that gives you a dose of WordPress medicine twice a week. 